Good morning, April. Good morning, hot oatmeal. Good morning, deceptive slate sky. It's Wednesday, and the menace of Hoosier winter is toddling into Hoosier spring. It's still growing into itself. Big, rust-breasted birds hop erratically in search of worms. Soon, their babies hatch. Walking, walking, shivering in a light jacket. On the sidewalk, there's a lump. Lord God, don't let it be a bird. 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 It's a robin. Fallen. A little frosty. Damn. Rainbows of wilted flowers litter campus, looking a lot like the bird. Like they might spring up and glisten come 9 a.m. sun. Men with their pitchforks and shovels dump piles of steaming mulch into the flower beds, a heated blanket to hold them over. Lawnmowers in the old crescent synchronize in an ambient hum reminiscent of a final exam-focused playlist. Fingers tapping at a cell phone grow numb. Then they're revitalized by the warmth of the coffee shop. In line are a clergyman in full garments and a college student in shorts and flip-flops. The latter orders cold brew, already dripping condensation. Good afternoon, son. Good afternoon, student throngs. Good afternoon, children hopping to point at a tree's first pink buds. Morning coats slung over forearms, at this point, are just annoying. Everyone gets pit stains where their backpacks rub. Puppies run their retractable leashes to their ends. Around them, the scooters have returned in droves. Even women with billowing gray hair and decorative scarves zoom down Indiana Avenue. The pavement gives off a hint of summer odor, shocking noses muted by colds for weeks or months or what felt like a lifetime. The Clash and Tom Petty spill out of cracked car windows and fraternity lawn speakers. Girls paint and chalk the steps of Acacia for Little 500. Here it comes, that spring evening when a police officer and his dog play fetch outside the cinema, and winter's leftover soup is utterly unappealing. And finally, the chill returns. For American Student Radio in Bloomington, I'm Emily Miles. I'm your host today, and I want to welcome you to spring. Here in the Midwest, it's muggy and loud and perfect for some radio shorts about heat. I think I need to do like the same. Hello! Hello. Live um, from... Yeah, oh. Awesome. Okay, great. Like live from, Indiana. Live, from um, live from Indiana, Indiana University, University in Bloomington. Bloomington. This is... This is hot. It's a hot mic. This is American, American Student Radio. Radio. That's pretty great. Is it like a sound or is it like... Fresh, crunching snow. Two hours of finger picking. Very good ASMR content. <laughs> Tragic, but also really beautiful. When we were pitching for this show, one of our newer members, Audrey McFerrin, suggested a game of Hot Seat, in which we bear our souls. Throughout this episode, you'll hear highlights from the game. 
This is Audra laying down the rules. Everyone can ask them whatever questions they want to ask, and they can get like progressively more heated, I guess. I'm gonna, I'll be in, I'll be like in the middle here, so I can mic whoever's talking. I just feel like I'm gonna offend someone. Yeah. I'm impossible to offend. Try. I dare you. I dare you to offend me. I also don't want to like exploit people's openness. Like that's my I mean, concern. I think that if somebody's open, in my opinion, if somebody's open, like you should take advantage of that. I, I agree. As another open person, I think you should take advantage of people's openness. I feel like um, there's always stuff about how you were raised and the circumstances in which you were raised that you discover later on have like not messed you up, but really affected you. Is there anything like that? Like, I know being raised, like, Catholic in Evansville made me into a certain person that I have to be very conscious about. Do you have anything like that where you're like, this is a product of how I was raised and I hate it? So I was raised uh, similarly at Catholic Evansville. Um, Well, I I hesitate to say conservative parents, but, like, my dad's a capitalist, And I have, like, I want to say capitalist work ethic. One of the things that I remember being so lovely about this boy I had a crush on all through, like, elementary and middle school was that he was running, and then he ran so much that he threw up, and then he covered it with a rock, and then he kept running. And I just think that that's, like, the most beautiful thing to just, like, work yourself to death and then keep working. (laughs) Um, And so that's... (laughs) (laughs) So that's uh, something that people really shouldn't do, and I understand that. But, like, also it's an ingrained value. All right, y'all get to know me. I don't have one. I'm sorry. I think... Okay, go ahead. No, you. Um, what's the biggest mistake you've ever made? Um... ASR. <laughs> <laughs> I feel bad for asking yeah. that now. You don't have to answer it. I'm also pointing a microphone in your face, so. Thinking I could be happy in my first relationship. Or, yeah, thinking I could be happy with someone who wasn't compatible with me. Um, And just, like, seeing those things as differences, rather, or, like, differences that could make us stronger rather than uh, actual issues with just, like, the kind of person that we need in our life. So, if you've ever had perfectly roasted veggies or a golden brown steak, you know just how important heat is to cooking. And if you've ever cooked these things before, you know how magical heat can be as well. In this next piece, producer James Keyes explores the sounds of a kitchen and just how beautiful they can be. There's no single element of cooking that's more important than heat. With heat comes magic. Vegetables caramelize, proteins brown, spices toast, and pastries rise. Add things to conduct that heat, and it gets even better. 
Sear some chicken thighs in cast iron or deep fry literally anything and you'll believe me. By adding fat, you're letting heat into every little ridge and nook and cranny. And if the temperature is high enough, which is really anything above the boiling point of water, water will evaporate in a low gurgle, keeping oil out of your food. One of the cool things about heat, too, is how it talks to you. Cooking is decidedly a sensory experience, and learning to listen is a valuable kitchen skill. Foods will pop and sizzle, gurgle and whisper, and everything in between. The crescendo of a vegetable sizzle tells you all you need to know sometimes. The dying down of a deep gurgle is equally as telling. But in my opinion, there's nothing more beautiful than the dance of an open flame. The flicker and flutter of fire from a gas burner or a campfire is exciting because of the potential that it offers. Throw something directly on an open flame and you'll get a rich depth of flavor and a beautifully brown exterior that's speckled with black char. This is my favorite territory to be in. With an open flame comes powerfully high heat. The five to 700 degree range is a beautifully uncertain place to be. It's almost like the Bermuda Triangle of the culinary world. Timers and temperature probes are meaningless. You're forced to key yourself into a beautifully orchestrated sensory experience. The sights, smells, the sounds of high heat cooking keep you on your toes. But as soon as you tune out, you're looking at a charred loaf of bread or an overcooked steak. Cooking with heat in any capacity is a lot like an improvisational dance. It's fluid, it's dynamic, and it's really temperamental. And sometimes you get off rhythm or you miss a beat. But that's what keeps things fun. For American Student Radio, this is James Keyes. You should hear James's grocery list for that piece, but I don't have that. So here's another round of hot seat. Does anyone have a question for Sophia? Well, the question I wanted to ask someone else was going to be, what is something that you try to hide from people or you don't want people to know about you? That goes directly with the question that I had for you. And it is like, I see you as this incredibly successful person. Like, I, like, somebody to whom I can measure myself, like, which is not healthy, but, um, anyway. That's dangerous. Like, that's dangerous for all of us. We all have those people, and it's, like, it's harmful. Yeah. My question is, um, how does that make you feel? Like, I've spent more of my life than I could tell you trying to live down that legacy. It doesn't seem like it because I have so bought into, like you were talking about, I've so bought into this notion of productivity. And for me, productivity is also about achievement and accomplishment because that's like how capitalism forms me. But like in high school, we had this, you know, everyone has like a salutatorian and valedictorian, right? Like I fought really hard to get that out. And the fucking joke, I'm sorry, the joke is that Like, I was the salutatorian, and they didn't do away with it, and I had to give a speech in front of, like, thousands of people. As much as I try 
to not be recognized that way, I still haven't gotten to a place where I'm willing to completely separate myself from that race. I'm not comfortable enough in my desire to not be seen that way that I've actually been willing to say, take me out of the race completely. Because what I would really love to do with my life is work on a farm. And here I am. Here we all are, Sophia. Just sort of feeling our way through. On that note, our senses are a big part of our memories. And sometimes we take this for granted. After all, they're only memories. Producer Audrey McFerrin explores the long list of childhood memories associated with touch and heat in this next piece. There are things in our lives that we take for granted. Things that warm our hearts and take us back. And things that we carry with us through the passage of time. There are toes curled before the heat of a fire and tongues burnt on molten chocolate. There's the first step into a scalding bath and the peeling of skin left in the sun for too long. There's the hug of clothes fresh from the dryer and the steam of a just-opened dishwasher. There are thighs burnt on leather car seats and fingers shocked by the heat of metal seat belts. There's a hand too close to a candle, and sun-warmed sand between spread toes. There's the first bite of freshly baked bread, and the smell of a car sweltering in summer heat. There are seats left with the warmth of a stranger, and phones left in the heat for too long. There's the heat of freshly shed tears, and the red-hot flush of embarrassed cheeks. There's a laptop balanced on two limbs and a cup of coffee warmed between two hands. There are hands tingling from high fives and muscles relaxing in heated pools. There's the sting of catching a ball thrown too hard and the sizzle of breakfast on the stove. There's a just-made bowl of ramen and the leftover tingle of a spicy dinner. There are hands stuffed in pockets and plans left undone in the heat of excitement. There's the rush of exhaust on ankles and shins and the warmth of two pinkies linked in promise. There's the burn of a finger cut on paper and the warmth of a smile on a less than decent day. There are young hands jolting away from the heat of the stove and day spent laid out in the sun. There's the embrace of another's arms and the bubbly feeling of warmth upon receiving a letter. There's the shared body heat of a too close crowd and the lingering heat of knees spent too long on the ground. There are mornings spent bundled in blankets and showers that leave skin red. There's the shuffle of feet on too hot pavement and the burn of fingers held too long on monkey bars. There's a hand held in another and the warmth of a compliment blossoming in an unsuspecting chest. And there is the rush of nostalgia that warms the heart and carries with it distant memories wrapped in the concept of heat. There are things in our lives that we take for granted. 
things that disappear with the fog of our breath into the cold winter air, things that return at a moment's notice with the gust of heat on a summer day, things that we carry with us through the passage of time. For American Student Radio in Bloomington, I'm Audra McFerrin. I just, that was beautiful. Um, I guess we should follow that with another moment from Audra. Okay, Audra. Yeah. 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 Who do you hate? Is there someone you hate? Do you have like a, do you have like a, a grudge? Yes, I have a very strong grudge against someone from my elementary school because she bullied me and she was still successful in everything and she somehow had the best of luck. Like if there was any drawing, it was always her name that was drawn. The thing was she only bullied me like once and then I moved away and I haven't seen her since I was like 12 years old, but I still just have this hatred for her that I can't fully explain and should probably have gone away because it's been like seven years, but it's still there. It's okay, we all hate her too. (laughs) (laughs) I want to do a happy one. Can I do a happy one? What are you the most proud of about yourself? I don't know, that's hard. I don't know. It's so much harder to be nice to yourself. Give me another happy question. Okay, um, what about this? What would your young, the younger version of yourself be proud of about you today? I, like, when I was little, I wanted to live in an airport. Because, like, airports are the coolest place as a kid. There's, like, food, there's, like, planes, there's, like, people in those suits and hats. Pilots. (laughs) 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 But... I don't know. I think, like, I'm carefree enough that, like, kid me would be like, eh, <laughs> turned out okay. Oh, I, my God. I thought you were, <laughs> 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 I thought you were going to be like, and I did that for a month. <laughs> yeah. And uh, <laughs> that's where I live. <laughs> I actually live in the Bloomington Airport. <laughs> <laughs> it's oh, quaint. Airport. <laughs> Yikes. Okay. Sheila never got put in the hot seat. I know. Wait, James didn't either. Oh. What's an instance in your life where you think that the philosophy ignorance of, is bliss would have been better than knowing what was going on? That's a good question. Dang. And you are going to have to wait until the end of the episode for the answer. Until then, we have another quick piece. Not as poetic as the last three, but very informative. We all know that for a truly wonderful home movie experience, it takes just around two kernel-popping minutes in the microwave. But what led to the creation of this magical heat box? Well, Max Sandifer has the surprisingly interesting story behind the microwave oven. Almost all of us can recognize that sound. Those three little beeps pierce your eardrums to let you know that, hey, your burrito's finished. We all take the standard microwave oven for granted. You put your cold or frozen food inside, press some buttons, wait a few minutes, and bam, now you've got yourself a hot meal. But looking back the past 70 or so years, we can find a unique history surrounding the invention of the modern-day microwave oven, starting with a peanut butter cluster bar. Popular Mechanics writes about Percy Spencer, a man who grew up poor in the wilderness of Howland, Maine. He had little education and none of the modern conveniences we have today. Drawn to the mills by his natural curiosity, he eventually got involved in electronics and started work in the Navy, where he, as he put it, 
got a hold of a lot of textbooks and taught myself while I was standing watch each night. Coming home from the First World War, Spencer got a job with the American Appliance Company, which soon changed its name to Raytheon. He rose up to be one of their most prized engineers finding simple solutions to improve radar technology for Allied forces during World War II. Now, where does the microwave oven come into play during this? Well, according to Spencer's grandson, he would always carry a peanut cluster bar in his pocket to break up and feed the squirrels during lunch. While he was working with a magnetron, he noticed that his pocket was sticky. Interestingly enough, the peanut cluster had melted. Harkening back to his curious nature, he then put an egg into this microwave tube, and it exploded, leading to him literally having an egg on his face. Finally, to seal the deal, he brought in corn kernels and then popped them with his newfound invention, giving the entire office a delectable snack. Less than a year later, in 1947, the first microwave prototype hit the market, called the Raider Range. This invention, however, wasn't your typical modern microwave. According to Wonderopolis, this expensive radio range was almost 6 feet tall and weighed about 750 pounds. To put that in perspective, that is almost 19 times more than the average mid-sized countertop microwave's weight today, weighs about 2.5 times the average refrigerator, or is around the weight of 5 max sanders on an empty stomach. It unfortunately didn't sell too well. Reintroduced a decade later, there was still no luck. It wasn't until the compact, affordable version we all know and love today was introduced into the market in the 1960s that it gained a bit of traction. Percy died in 1970, with units being sold at around 40000 a year. Little did he know that only five years later, his creation would be pushing over $1 million in sales annually. Microwaves have now become a facet of American society with 96.8% of Americans owning one, according to a 2015 Census Bureau survey. Whether you're in a hurry and need a quick meal, or craving a mid-afternoon hot pocket, just know that you can thank a curious engineer and a little peanut cluster for your laziness. But just remember guys, don't microwave fish at work. And invalidated everything else good in your life when you decided to microwave fish at work. You suck. <laughs> She's right. Bless you and your history, Max. Okay, so when we left off on our game, Audra was asking James about a moment in which he felt the old saying, ignorance is bliss, was accurate. Here's James. I honestly, and again, I had a conversation with this actually with a professor of mine. We had this conversation about like, ignorance is bliss and all this stuff. And I honestly cannot think of a time where I would rather be ignorant. And it comes at a price. Yeah, because I feel like I'm, I'm much like you guys in that like, life is a sufferfest and that means you're doing it right, because that's capitalism. We're <laughs> really closing the circle of capitalism now, but like, yeah, I, I don't, I'm not of the mindset that like everything should be easy and like, you know, fun, just because that's the, my way of making sense of all the shit I put myself through when I was younger. But um, yeah, I can't really think of anything. Does anyone have a question for Sheila? Oh my God. I'm so nervous. <laughs> <laughs> okay, why are you nervous? Is there what, what is there that you don't want to talk about? Oh, yeah, great question, James. Um, <laughs> I think I'm just, I, I don't know if, I guess you guys 
<laughs> Maybe if I can finish the sentence. <laughs> um, you guys can you, you guys can say if you think this is true or not. I think I'm generally a very anxious person, um, and I don't know if it comes off that way. Emily, you look surprised. Um, yes, I'm I'm just like very nervous a lot of the time, and I don't I don't usually share that much about myself because people don't usually ask. If people ask, I'm like let's go. But but usually I'm the one asking questions. I think this comes as being like a journalism kind of person. I'm usually the one asking questions, and like sometimes I'll walk away from like social interactions and know so much about the other person and and would have said really nothing about myself. And I think a lot of like journalists and like writers and like like fiction storytellers and like people like that like are used are are used to like asking other people questions or like making up stories for other people. So when when it's like turned on them it's like very much like ooh. Thank you so much for listening to us turn the heat up and turn the mic on ourselves. We'll be back soon. Join us as we transition fully into a meme and explore the moral alignments. American Student Radio is a student-run podcast at Indiana University in Bloomington, Indiana. Thanks to the Media School for support and to Lunamatic for the timeless theme music. Other music in this episode comes from a number of sources, but mostly Blue Dot Sessions. You can follow ASR on Twitter and Instagram at ASR Voice, and you can find us on Facebook. Have a thought? Hit us up on social or email us at americanstudentradio at gmail.com. Bye now.